0: Let's begin. Welcome to another episode of the Relatable Voice podcast. On today's road trip, the RV is picking up Brooke Jones in Oregon. Brooke is an LA and San Francisco radio personality and writer. Her latest book is called why are there monkeys and other questions for God? So Brooke, you are very welcome to the Relatable Voice. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's my pleasure as well. So you are very well versed in interviewing, even having (laughs) interviewed many celebrities as a radio personality. Yes, that is true. That is true. What has been your favorite radio interview to date?
1: Well, my favorite interview didn't happen on the radio. My favorite interview happened when I had a near-death experience and I actually ended up interviewing Cod. And I know that sounds impossible. That couldn't possibly have happened. But in fact, that's exactly what happened. I was legally dead for eight minutes. And during those eight minutes, I was not here. I wasn't in this life. I wasn't in this realm. I was at the, call it the doorstep of heaven. And I asked God every question I could think of and I was given the answers. And uh, a lot of those answers surprised me. And when I came back and I had it proven to me that it had really happened and it wasn't a figment of my imagination, I realized that I needed to write it all down and share it with the world because it's important. The things that I was told are things that everybody really should know. So I wrote it all down, literally word for word, and it's been published and now it's a book called Why Are There Monkeys and Other Questions for God, and it's available in an ebook and paperback and hardcover through Amazon, and you can order it from stores, and it's available all around the world. So far, it's only available in English, but perhaps one of these days, I'll be able to have it translated into Spanish and French and Italian. Oh, I love Italian. And every other language, on earth so that everybody can read it. Because as I am hearing from readers around the world, people are saying that this book changed their lives. People are saying that, um, for example, baby boomers, people of a certain age, which I am one of them, know that we're living in the final chapter of our lives right now. And we don't have a lot of time left and they are terrified of what waits for them on the other side. Like after this life, is there anything or is there darkness or is there some boogeyman or scary, I don't know. But after reading my book, they have written to me and said, after reading your book, I'm not afraid anymore. I have no fear whatsoever of passing because I now understand that death is not an end. It's only a doorway in the same way that birth is an end of one life that you live for nine months as a fish basically, you were underwater and then you were born into a new life and here you are now. Well, that's exactly what death is. It's just a portal or a door into our next life Mm. because we are made of energy and energy cannot be destroyed therefore If you take your last breath here in this life, while this body will get a well-deserved rest, the you that you know, the essence of you, the energy of you, the spirit of you, the soul of you lives forever. It cannot be destroyed because it's made of energy and energy can only transform into another form. It can never
0: die. Wow, your experience is fascinating. And I'll tell you, you are the first guest I've ever had who has died broke. So can you tell us a little bit more what happened?
1: Well, the details only go to show you that I was... 25 years old at the time and as most people of my age will admit when you're 25 you're basically certifiably stupid at least I certainly was (laughs) and in my experience most 25 year olds tend to be and we think we're immortal and we do things that are dangerous and it's just downright dumb. I had a party And it was just me and two other people and drugs were involved. And it was the kind of drugs that nobody in their right mind would ever go near. But, you know, I was 25 and I'm a child of the 60s. So I was not in my right mind for a lot of years. So I did some very bad drugs and I overdosed. And I knew what was happening immediately. Being a child of the 60s, I had seen overdoses. I knew what they looked like. In those moments between my realization that I was dying and my realization that I was in fact quote unquote dead, time seemed to slow down and in those seconds when everything slowed down. I found myself praying and being basically a non-believer in God. The fact that I was praying was a little peculiar to me. Um, I envisioned every Hollywood actor I had ever seen who played the role of Jesus. I uh, chanted to a framed picture on my dresser of Swami Sachidananda who I had studied with many years before. And then I died. And this was 1975. It was... To the best of my knowledge, before Dr. Raymond Moody had published his book about near-death experiences, um, I I think it was before his book, but it was certainly before I had ever read his book or I'd ever heard the term near-death experience. I had never met anyone who had had one. I'd never heard about its existence. So there I was in what is now the iconic tunnel of white light not knowing that it was an iconic tunnel of white light because I'd never heard of it before, but there I was. And I, I wanna say it was as if I was floating in this tunnel, but it was much more like the tunnel was actually carrying me. And it was a tunnel that seemed to be made of light, white light, and it was warm and it was comforting. And it literally felt like it was carrying me, and it was breathing. Very, very, very strange. I was not familiar with any of the existence of any of that, but there I was. And then suddenly, I wasn't being carried anymore. I was standing. But I don't know what I was standing on, because there was nothing anywhere around me. It was just me. And I looked down and I couldn't see anything that I was standing on, but I was standing and uh, I didn't see any people. I didn't hear anything. It was just this white light of warmth and safety and comfort. And I, I didn't have any idea where I was. So I, Called out and said, hello, hello, is anybody here? Is that, can somebody tell me where the hell I am? And that's when I heard this voice. And it was the deepest, most amazing voice I have ever heard. And it in hindsight, I describe it as a voice that made Darth Vader sound like Mickey Mouse because it was so. Beautifully, deeply. Mm. Um, And this voice said, after I said, can somebody please tell me where the hell I am? The voice said, watch your language. Remember where you are. (laughs) And I said, well, that'd be a little difficult to remember where I am since I don't actually know where I am. And we went around and around and around in circles and all of a sudden I knew. The voice I was hearing and, and I have to qualify the word hearing because it wasn't hearing the way you and I are talking to each other and hearing through my ears. It was as if my entire being was a tuning fork. And with every sound that this voice made, my entire body vibrated with this sound. So it was like I was hearing, but it wasn't hearing with my ears. And it wasn't just telepathy. It was literally like I was communing with another life form, and I could hear, in quotes, every word that was being said, and I suddenly realized I was in the presence of God, even though I couldn't see anything, and even though up to that moment I didn't believe that God existed, but suddenly I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was communing with God. And then the voice said, Because I suddenly, when the light bulb went on in my head and I got it, I said, oh, my God. And the voice said, laughing, by Jove, I think she's got it, which is a line from My Fair Lady. And I laughed and I cracked up. And yes, God has a sense of humor. And that's when I knew that, yes, in fact, I was in the presence of God. And I asked if I could ask questions and God said of course so I then began a question and answer session and in my professional life I earned a living interviewing people as you're doing now um, so I was accustomed to asking questions but this one <laughs> no you know I've interviewed in my life you know Mel Brooks and Robin Williams and Bob hope and you know I mean everybody but I was interviewing God. So I asked every question I could think of and keeping in mind that at the time I was 25 years old, I didn't think to ask a bunch of questions that I would ask now at this ripe old age of, I'm not going to tell you. Um, But I asked all the questions that came to my 25-year-old brain and I received the answers. And the questions included things like, Is God male or female? I mean, because everybody wants to know. Uh And the answer I got from this very deep voice was, I'm neither. And then all of a sudden, I heard the most beautiful, feminine, soft, beautiful voice I've ever heard. And it said, and then again, I'm both. Wow. Yeah. And we went from there. I asked what religion God was. That was an interesting conversation. I asked about reincarnation. I asked about death. I asked about miracles. I asked about prayer. I asked everything I could think of. And I got the answers. And after I returned, and I do not to this day know if I was allowed to come back to this life because of the final question that I asked. I don't know. And no, I'm not gonna tell you what that final question was although it's in the book and I won't tell you because as much as I dislike authors who do interviews and say, well, I can't answer that book that question you have to read the book because then I think, why did you bother granting an interview if you're not gonna answer the questions? But in this particular case, there are a couple of questions I can't answer because they won't make sense all by themselves, out of context. But this book takes two hours to read. It's a very short book, you can read the whole thing, start to finish in under two hours. And the final question is in the book. And when you read it, you'll understand why I had to ask you to read it in order to get the full impact of just how profound that question was, at least coming from me, it was profound because it was a question that had never crossed my mind. Ever. i had never thought to ask anybody. And suddenly it was the only question I wanted to ask. And I asked it and immediately I was back. I was alive. I was breathing. I was in my body. I was right where I had been when this whole thing started. And again, once I had it proven and I was given undeniable proof that what happened to me really did happen. And once I got that, After I took some time to learn how to live this life in harmony with all of the things that I had learned from that experience, and that took some time, it took years, in fact I'm still working on it, I realized that I had to share this experience with the world which is why I wrote it all down word for word, and now it's available as a book, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: I that was a very long answer to one question.
0: <laughs> no, no, that's, that's fine. I really want to listen to everything you have to tell us. And, you uh, know, Brock, I've always been very curious about near-death experiences. So what was the most impressive part of your interaction with God?
1: Hmm, let me
0: think here.
1: Impressive. Um...
0: Something that maybe or either scared you or.
1: Ah, there's a good one. Um, while this was happening very early on, and once I realized where I was and with whom I was communing, I wondered why I wasn't terrified because I was in the presence of the creator of everything. Shouldn't I have been terrified? Shouldn't I have been rolled up in a ball in a fetal position, trembling? But I wasn't. And I was kind of surprised by that until it occurred to me, and it occurred to me very quickly, that if this creator, this God, and that's another thing we talked about, is what I should call God, but in any event, in this moment of awareness that I wasn't terrified and didn't know why I wasn't terrified, I realized that if the creator of everything was in fact you know, a father figure for all humanity and if in fact we all humanity are the children of this creator children in quotation marks then why would this creator want to frighten me would any father when you come home want to scare you to death when you walked in the door no loving father would want to do that and if Robin Williams or, may he rest in peace, may if, if Mr. Rogers, if anybody can portray a loving, gentle, funny father figure, certainly God can. And there was no reason for God to frighten me. So he, she, they, them, both, neither, made me feel completely comfortable at home, welcome, secure, and safe, as I suppose any loving father would. So no, that fact was, was sort of mind boggling to me. There I was in the presence of God and I was not frightened at all. And then when I realized why I wasn't frightened, it made perfect sense to me. And I was completely comfortable.
0: Yeah, I've heard many stories about the NDE, and many people say that they felt really in peace. They didn't want to come back. Did you have this feeling? Um,
1: For me, it was more that I realized I had done something very foolish that caused me to be in that situation I was in. And for whatever reason in that time, I felt like I had wasted the time I had been given in this life because it's a gift and I felt like I had been given many gifts when I came into this life and I'd squandered them or I had not used them to their capacity or I had not used them correctly or whatever. And I wanted to come back and do it right. I, I felt like I had a responsibility to use the gifts I had been given. So the fact that I was there and comfortable and at ease, didn't make me want to stay there now then because I felt like I would have been given gifts that I had wasted and I think that's a crime. When you're given a gift, you're supposed to use it properly and to its full effect. And so I did want to return. Um, And again, whether or not, my being allowed to return was because of that last question or just because it wasn't my time. I don't know. It wasn't explained to me and I didn't think to ask or I didn't have time to ask because when I asked that last question, boom, I was back and I was living. Um, But yeah, there wasn't a moment during that time when I felt the least bit frightened. Mm. And I know now that as I tell people whenever I talk about this, that there is nothing to fear. And what awaits us all on the other side is nothing but comfort and love and safety.
0: Mm.
1: And when I asked about reincarnation, which I did, Mm. is there such a thing? Do we have one shot at this life and no more? And the answer I was given was it has been known to happen. Reincarnation is real. It has happened. And it happens according to what I was told when it needs to happen. And when I asked, for example, Does it happen to everyone and when and do we come back in another form in a, you know, will I come back as a dog? Will I come back as a tree? I I was given the answer that I it wasn't time for me to know that. And I said, well, if I was alive and then now I'm dead, is there some other time that I don't know about to which I was told? There are many times you don't know about. Mm. Okay. And when will I know them? The answer was when it is time for you to know them. When I asked if Shirley MacLaine had been reincarnated, as she has always claimed, um, God laughed. That's another subject we can discuss. And I was told that I'm not Shirley MacLaine and what, I'm responsible for knowing isn't what happens in other people's lives, and it's none of my business, basically. Oh, okay. And by the way, I sent a copy of my book to Shirley McLean, and I would love to <laughs> read it and get back to me and tell me what she thinks because I talked to God about her, but you know, haven't heard back yet. We'll see.
0: No, I'll let yes. you know. Yes, let me know. And I th- will. And bro. Uh, Can you explain the significance behind the title, White Monkeys? Oh, excellent
1: question. Everybody, including myself, has always wondered, and this is a question that I asked while I was there, if Charles Darwin's theory of evolution was correct, that the human race evolved from monkeys, then shouldn't All the monkeys have turned into people by now. Why are there still monkeys? Good question. That's the the derivation of the title. And when I discussed this about evolution versus creation, um, I was told that they're not mutually exclusive. And people can prove this for themselves. They can see it in their own lives. And I can explain it thusly. Consider the fact that before you were born into this life, you spent nine months first as a fertilized egg, daddy's sperm, mommy's egg, boom, they get together, they're fertilized and there's a fetus and it multiplies the cells, multiply, split, divide, and eventually you're a baby and then eventually you are born. Well, that's creation what mommy and daddy did to make that fertilized, okay, that's Mm -hmm. creation. Then when you're born and you become a a toddler and a stupid teenager and a middle-aged person and an older person, that's evolution. So in your own life, you can see that creation and evolution are not mutually exclusive because they both exist in your own life and virtually everything that exists was created. And everything that was created either evolves or dies. Nothing stays the same because this is a causal universe. There are causes, there are effects. That's not airy-fairy stuff. That's Isaac Newton's law of physics. Everything that exists changes because change is the one constant, everything evolves. And to think otherwise is to deny the basic laws of physics. And when I speak of karma and that the energy that you give to the world does come back to you again, that's not airy fairy stuff either. That's just other language for the basic laws of physics. What you put out comes back that's both karma and the fundamental laws of physics energy doesn't die it just changes and it goes from you to who's ever near you to who's ever near them to who's ever near them and it keeps on going because that's what energy does you're doing this show now and you may think that when the end when the interview is done that it's done well guess what Somewhere on a planet far, far away, somebody is listening to the very first interview you ever did. Because when it goes out into the cosmos, into the stratosphere, that energy keeps traveling. I did radio shows since 1968. There, there are, you know, maybe little gray people with big eyes somewhere out there now listening to me playing Jimi Hendrix on the radio from, you know, a whole bunch of years ago because that's what energy does it just keeps going yeah. and going and going and that's what we are we are made of atoms you can look at your hand and you pick up your hand go ahead pick up your hand okay look at it look at your hand
0: mm-hmm.
1: is it moving no no it's not right it's not moving your hand isn't moving wrong your hand is moving because it's made of atoms and atoms are made of electrons and neutrons and protons and they are never still. The computer in front of you, the table in front of you, the wall, the everything. It looks like it's not moving, but in fact, everything is moving because everything is made of atoms and atoms always move and they are what energy is made of. And energy vibrates mm. and it has a frequency. And everything that exists vibrates at a different frequency. So for example, when you walk into a room full of people and you see a person over in that corner that you've never seen before, but there's something about them that tells you, I don't wanna speak to this person. I don't know why, but I don't want anything to do with them. Well, that's because they're vibrating at a frequency that doesn't work with the frequency at which you're vibrating and it's not comfortable for you. You may not understand that's the reason, but that is the reason. When you look at the other side of the room and you see someone you've never seen before, and oh my God, you just have to talk to them and you don't know why. They're not familiar. They may not be good looking. It has nothing to do with their physical appearance, but for some reason you're drawn to them and you don't know why. Well, the reason is because they are vibrating at a frequency that is simpatico, is in alignment with the frequency at which you are vibrating. That explains so much about our lives and what we do with our lives and we don't have to understand it and most people are not physicists and they don't get the connection but This is all true. And again, it's not woo-woo, it's not airy-fairy stuff. This is really, truly the very fundamental basics of the laws of physics.
0: Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you, Brooke. And I'm curious to know, how did people react when you first told them about your near-death experience and your interaction with God?
1: Well, as an excellent question, keeping in mind that this happened in 1975 and I had never heard of a near-death experience and I certainly never met anyone who had had one, I didn't talk about this to anybody because I was sort of thinking, okay, they're going to lock me in a rubber room and think I'm completely nuts. And I have had, since the time I was I've known things that there's no way to explain how I could have known them. I had dreams that then came true. I've been able to feel other people's emotions before they've even described them to me. Uh, I have been saved at least seven times by an intuitive voice that has literally saved my life in situations for which there is no explanation for why I wasn't killed in these situations. I mean, at least seven of them. And I wrote a few of them in an article that's available on my blog, whatif.blog. And the article is called Death Be Not, in which I describe a couple of my experiences in life in which there really is no logical explanation for why I did not die. And because of those experiences, I've always been a little different. Um, and I know that there are things about me that that I can't share with other people because they don't understand what I'm talking about. So for many years, I didn't discuss any of this. Um, and then the concept of the near-death experience became pretty well known. In fact, I was walking through my house one day and the television was on and I heard a panel discussion on some talk show about people talking about the dying and the white light and the tunnel and I went, oh my god, I'm not the only one. So I sat down and I watched the show and that's when I realized that it was called a near-death experience and that I wasn't the only person who'd ever had one, at which point I did talk to a few people, not many, even though I now realize that I wasn't the only person who had this experience.
0: Did you talk to your parents or any other person? No, no
1: I certainly never spoke to my parents about <laughs> this. They were they were intellectual people who had no belief in anything, um, certainly no belief in God and no understanding of anything that they couldn't touch or feel or hold in their hands and you know they considered themselves intellectuals and anything that that did not fit into the box of the intellectual didn't work didn't exist as far as they were concerned but when I was given proof I mean undeniable proof that what I had experienced had in fact actually happened that was the point at which I went public with this, at least in terms of writing it down and seeing to it that it got published so that it could be seen, read, discussed by everyone. And this book is really sort of me coming out of the closet with a whole bunch of stuff about my spiritual life and my reason for Living and and I do consider this to be my reason for existing. And people ask me if I feel like when I returned, I was given a mission from God or something. And I always say, no, no, no. The, The Blues Brothers, you know, Jake and Elwood Blues in the movie, The Blues Brothers always said they had a mission from God. Well, I didn't feel that way. What I felt was that I had a responsibility a divine responsibility to share my experience with as many people as I possibly could, because I didn't think that these questions were answered just for my benefit. I believed that I was given this information so that I could share it with the world. So now it's a book and now it's available. And I'm hoping that millions and millions of people read it. And there are several reasons for that. Not the least is because I am a breast cancer warrior. I was diagnosed with breast cancer and it was a late diagnosis. And the fact that I'm still alive is sort of a miracle in and of itself. And so I don't want people to read this book and buy this book so that I can get rich, because that's not what I'm interested in. I donate most of the net proceeds from the sale of this book to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. That's thing number one. Thing number two is, as I am hearing from people around the world who have read my book, Why Are There Monkeys and Other Questions for God, that they had lived their lives, they had been born and raised to believe that their religion and their God were the only real religion and the only true God and that anybody who believed otherwise was a blasphemer who deserved to burn in hell and deserved scorn and ridicule and hatred and that they were wrong and they were terrible. Well, after reading my book, and, and I've gotten more emails on this than I can even count at this point. People have said that after reading my book, they are no longer able to deny their kinship with people of other religions and other cultures. Can, can you imagine what this world could be like if enough of those people read this book mm-hmm. and had that mind altering, life altering, Realization Mm -hmm. I can, I can, which is why I am pretty much dedicating whatever time remains to me in my current life to telling as many people as possible about the existence of my book, Why Are There Monkeys? and Other Questions for God, because I absolutely believe, as apparently do people around the world at this point that if read by enough people, this book really could make this world a better place. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I can't think of a better reason to be alive than to do that. I can't think of a higher purpose for life than to leave this world a better place than I found it. So that's what I do. That's why I'm here with you today. That's why I give interviews wherever and whenever I can, because I need people to know that Why Are the Monkeys and Other Questions for God exists. And whether you think it's a bunch of hooey or not, all I ask is that you read it. It's a little bitty book. It only takes two hours to read the whole thing. And I just ask that you read it. I was in pre-production for the audio version of this book. And suddenly I started receiving emails, lots of emails from people who suddenly said they could feel God talking to them as they read the words that God was speaking in the book. And when I got more and more and more emails saying that to me from readers, I realized that if I put a voice to God in this book and created an audio book, that I would be getting in between a reader's connection with God, Mm. And the reader. And I didn't want to do that. So I made a decision. I scrapped the pre production plans and I decided that there's not going to be an audiobook because I don't want to get in the way of anyone's direct communion with their creator, which is what people who are reading the book are telling me they're experiencing when they read it.
0: Mm.
1: So Here it is. And again, I say, whatever your religious beliefs may be, give this book a chance. It may, may change your life. It will certainly make you laugh. It might make you cry. But it's going to open your eyes, whether you believe it or not, whether you think it's true or not, it's going to give you something to think about. I guarantee that. And there are a lot of people, I should tell you, who have one reason for thinking that this book is fiction. And the reason is because God of my experience during my near-death experience was funny. And I spent a lot of time laughing. And people have written to me and said, well, obviously it's fiction because everybody knows God isn't funny. Really? Wow, God can't be funny? Hmm, let me think now, do you when, when people confront me with that, I say, mm, okay, I got a question for you. Do you believe that God can be anything? Well, yeah, of course he's God. I said, well, then why can't he be funny? I've spent my life making people laugh. I've earned a living doing it. It's what I feel most comfortable doing. I laugh, I make people laugh. So God, the Father, the Creator, the whatever you want to call Him, chose to give me a version of himself that made me comfortable and that involves humor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, it makes perfect sense to me that the God of my understanding, the God that I met, had a sense of humor because that's the language I speak.
0: Yeah, and you know, Broke, you were saying something very interesting because I was reading the reviews and your reviews are Excellent. And I see that you wrote the book with such humor, but I imagine it could be quite scary of an experience to go through. So in this case, when God was laughing or having <laughs> a great sense of humor, did you feel as if he was a person? you know what I mean? I, I
1: do. I do know what you mean.
0: And in that
1: time, I, I if this is a good one. I don't know how to explain this. Um, I did not spend a moment interpreting. I was accessing and absorbing everything and not judging it. Uh-huh. The fact that I was comfortable and not frightened. After a moment, it made perfect sense to me. The fact that the being, the spiritual being that I was encountering had a sense of humor didn't strike me as odd at all because he's the creator of everything. He, he's the inventor of laughter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, why, why wouldn't God be able to laugh? And if you think God has no, it's not paying attention. Have you ever seen a platypus? Obviously, God has a sense of humor. And that was shared with me in my near-death experience. And I believe it was shared with me in that way because God presented himself to me in a way that I felt comfortable and in a way that didn't frighten me and in a way that allowed me to open my heart and my soul and my mind to the experience without a moment's hesitation of I'm being judged or I should be afraid because something bad is going to happen. There wasn't a moment of that. I was completely in the moment and that moment was more comfortable. And when I say I felt like going home, it was a greater sense of going home than i had ever experienced mm-hmm. in my life and it just felt all of it just felt like that's the way it is that's the way it should be and it made perfect sense to me i didn't question it at all because it just it felt right
0: mm-hmm. and broke i i how can i sleep tonight without Reading your book and knowing about your last question, and well, I have to download your ebook as I'm in Spain now. So, can you share with our listeners where we can find you, find your books, and your social media?
1: I would be pleased to. I have a website, it's very easy, it's written by brookejones.com and brooke has an e on the end of it it's b-r-o-o-k-e written by brookejones.com and on that website you will find links to my blog whatif.blog you'll find links to my online card store the card outlet i create the most twisted greeting cards you've ever seen and with those also the proceeds, most of the proceeds go to the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. You'll find a link to my um, uh, YouTube channel. You'll find links to everything that I do right there on my website, written by brookjones.com. You will also find links to stores and online retailers from whom you can purchase why are there monkeys and other questions for God from Amazon or um, Nook or Barnes and Noble or anything. All of those links are there on my website. You just click on them and order my book and have it downloaded or mailed to you, whichever you prefer. And if you want to contact me at the bottom of the page, there's a contact form and you can ask me a question. You can tell me how my book affected you. You can tell me you think I'm out of my mind and I should be locked in a room. You can do whatever you want. And don't be surprised if you get a response from me because I tend to answer as many emails as I can. But that's all available on my website, written by com.
0: Sounds great. It was, was such a great conversation, Brooke. And this subject is... Something that many people are interested in because it's part of our lives, yeah.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. I've had a lovely time. And if you have other questions or you just want to connect, you have my email address, feel free to contact me. And I would be only too happy to appear on your upcoming show. Mm -hmm.
0: Anything you like, just give me a holler and let me know.